Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash plearnmc. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Hello and welcome to Personalized Learning with Matt and Courtney. My name's Matt. I'm Courtney. We are coming to the end of our series on collective efficacy. Yes, always, for all time, forever, we talk about the do-do's and don't-do's of personalized learning. But specifically for this trimester, we've been talking about collective efficacy and um, the enabling conditions, which are the attitudes and practices that need to be in place in a district in order for collective efficacy to grow and thrive. And we are on our last one. The last um, one. And this one is called Effective Systems of Intervention. Yes. So let's let's recap a little bit since we've, okay. we've done all six now. So we started with advanced teacher influence, mm-hmm. goal consensus, teacher's knowledge about one another's work. Yeah. Cohesive staff, mm-hmm. responsiveness of leadership. Yep. And now we're up to effective systems of intervention. Yeah. Yeah. And as we've talked about with all of them, they all mean something a little bit different than you might immediately think. Right. They do. And also, there's no right place to start, it's not linear. Right. Um, you might have some of these conditions in place, but you might need to work on other ones. Every learning environment is different. So, Working on one and kind of strengthening one does have the um, effect of then bolstering the others. So there isn't a right or wrong place to start. It's only what's right or wrong for your particular learning community. Right. And uh, building them all up over time is what is going to uh, make it work for you. Uh, But again, if you start with this one with interventions, uh, that's fine. Yep. Yeah, they're, they're out of order. Or maybe they're in order for you. Who knows? <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> we don't know either. But let's talk about a couple things that it doesn't necessarily mean. All right. Uh, hey, hey, you know what? What? Um, I worked in a district that had an RTI plan in place. Awesome. So, so you must have nailed this one. Nailed it. Yep. Done. Simple. Uh, you know where I worked once? No, I don't. I worked in a place that had such a good RTI system. Yeah they met once a month to discuss kids and their needs. I wasn't in on it. So because, you know, I, I didn't want to do that. I was way too busy, but, but they did it. They worked on it once a month, every month and talked about kids. It was awesome. It worked so well. Well, wait, what (laughs) were you just talking? What happened because of the talking? Oh, I'm not exactly sure. But I know they met every month, so it must have been awesome. Uh, okay. They well, never you know took a month I've, off. I've seen, which is actually, this is something that's happening in a lot of schools that perhaps we need to do a whole episode on, um, but it's this magical time in the school day that a lot of times it happens to be like when music or like band or chorus happens, <laughs> so like a bunch of kids are taken out. And then there's a bunch of kids left behind who don't go to band or chorus or something or orchestra. So we have something 
that we call target time or mm -hmm. individualized learning time or power hour or something else where the idea is is that all kids are working on a target they need to be working on that sounds awesome yeah in theory oh there's that part again it's always in theory it's the in theory part yeah the difference for so many of these enabling conditions actually is the difference between theory and practice so what you were just saying about the target time that sounds really good and kids i'm sure like it makes a difference for them, right? I don't know. Let's go with, let's, let's assume it's some of them. I think it does make a difference for some of them. I think it absolutely can. I think, um, I mean, what the way I've seen it work and not work all comes down to the amount of resources available, the willingness of teachers to work together, to share students, the ability of teachers to differentiate instruction and manage learners in different places, possibly even working on different things and like how a team might go about organizing that. If it's just, if it just is like a replacement label for study hall, then no, no kids are being helped. I was kind of wondering about the kids who are going to like band and chorus. Well, what why about them, right? Why don't, yeah. why don't they get target time? I know. Yeah. It's really, it doesn't seem to work in practice then this theory that we're having? Um, no, I think a lot of times it doesn't work in practice. Okay. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it seems like what you just said about that one, about finding the time for the, with the banded course kids are gone. Uh, it's a way to like, what are we gonna do with the leftovers? Yeah, it kind of, yeah, yeah, that kind of does happen. And then, I mean, we're gonna go down a rabbit hole with this one, but then, nice. you know, if you're in a building where you, where someone raises that and you are kind of consciously aware of that and being like, all right, so how do we still offer whatever to those kids? Or sometimes it's called um, like enrichment for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a fail on all And then you get the terms. argument that like, well, band is enrichment, you know, the music is enrichment for those kids. Yeah, but what about the learners that need intervention who are going to band or chorus? What happens there? And then I've been in a school where it actually became this whole long process where like parents had to kind of appeal to the principal and like, blah, blah. It just, it, yeah, it gets really complicated. I mean, there's only so much time in the school day, which right. is why we should stop constricting ourselves to the time of the school day. But that's a whole other that's a whole other year of podcasting. Let's get back to this idea here. <laughs> that is very true. That's where you, you were right down a rabbit hole right there, right there. Right, very easily. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So when we do talk about uh, effective systems intervention of intervention, it means a lot more than, than just some of those basic things that we try to fit in through the day or mm -hmm. after school to talk about kids. It's not just about that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so we we have some solutions from uh, from the wonderful book that we're finishing up now. Well, we're not finishing up the book. We're we're only finishing up a section of the book. The yeah. Well, I was going to say as I was saying that I knew it wasn't the book because I have the book right in front of me right now. Yeah. We have talked about six, seven, maybe eight pages of this book. Yeah. Which is uh you know hundred plus page book. Uh, so this series could potentially go on uh, for the rest of our podcasting lives <laughs> we could certainly make that happen we, <laughs> yes that, that we certainly could uh, so let's talk about some of the ways that effective systems of intervention do work uh, okay. right after our ad break all right 
So for you, the listeners of Personalized Learning with Matt and Courtney, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Through this entire series of collective efficacy stuff, I'm still reading the same book. <laughs> I'm listening to it. Keep I'm going. Reading it. Keep I'm going. doing both. I'm almost done. It's really good. It's called Midnight in Chernobyl by Adam Higginbotham. I love it. But holy God, it's thick. Yeah. It's and so for me, I've moved on from, I did Ruth, I did Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I did Amy Poehler. I did something else. I think I had a Brene Brown in there. I just did a Taya O'Brett. Well, not done with that one, but I did just download. I went in a totally different direction and I got operative techniques in foot and ankle surgery, um, operative techniques in orthopedic surgery, the first edition. I'm very impressed. <laughs> You were just flying through books. You decided, you know what? I'm going to become need, a surgeon. I need something harder. I need something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Amy Poehler. Okay, she's funny. You go to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Okay, well, she's really smart, Supreme Court justice. You know what? I'm going right to doctors. I'm going to be a surgeon. Of course, you can check out Audible's vast library and choose your own, not just the ones we like. To download your free audiobook, go to audibletrial.com slash plearnmc. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash plearnmc for your free audiobook. Hey, become a surgeon with me. We could open a practice. <laughs> okay, let's get back to effective systems of intervention. This Perfect. is more my speed right here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so effective systems of intervention aren't just about the kids who need extra help. We talked about target time before, yeah. uh, where they're just working on more stuff, or you're missing some of the kids because they go to band and chorus. Uh, the, the, if you have effective systems of intervention, they help ensure that all learners are successful, not just some of them. Right. I, I think this is this is one of those issues with language, right? Where what's the word we really want to use here? Yep. Um, because intervention automatically we go to the learners that are not performing at the level where we expect them to be. Right. It's not even the same as the learners who want to move forward when we we talk we talk that more about enhancement, right? Right, yeah. Rather than intervention. And it's really right, not- Or extending. Yeah. Or extending, yeah, or something like that. So you, you have the kids that, are, that need some extra help and extra time, and then you have kids who are flying and need that extra support uh, to move them ahead. And right. you're kind of missing all those people in the middle that are just doing what they need to do, but mm -hmm. why, don't they, why can't they have some time to do some, some extra things or to move forward or to go deeper or right. whatever they want to do? We kind of miss that that grand middle, as it were. Yeah. So there's one thing that uh, Dufour said, uh, quote, it's not so much their perception of their students' abilities that creates a culture of high expectations in these schools, but their conviction regarding their own collective abilities to impact student achievement in a positive way. And mm -hmm. I pulled that quote from this uh, mainly because you go to any school, really anywhere, and they're going to say, we have high expectations of our kids. Yeah. Because what else are you going to say? We have medium <laughs> expectations. We have low expectations. And they we don't the expect anything from our learners. Right. We can't. We, so you have to say that. But right. it's not just about having the expectations. It's knowing that I can help them get there. 
Right. I think this is actually a really nice spot where you can kind of start to see how strength in one enabling condition would actually um, bolster another one. So for example, this one, like you need to work together, right? One teacher cannot run an effective intervention system for all of the learners in their room. It's impossible. So you have to be able to rely on other teachers um, or other staff in the building. So if you think back to the one knowledge of other people's practice, when, you're, when one person is much more familiar with the teaching practices of other people, then it becomes so much easier to, um, to work together to actually have an effective system. Because let's say we, we've got student, you know, students, students who are having some trouble with, with math, right? And it's like a number sense issue, but I'm really strong at maybe working with the idea, you know, when kids are struggling with multiplication or things. And so, but Matt, you've got this really great way of getting kids to visualize and deconstruct numbers. So you should take the kids that need that because I know you're good at that type of instruction, right? right. Or even, even this one I feel is, is like one that's really important is like, maybe it's the same skill. I've tried it one way and it didn't work but you've got a different way of teaching the same skill that maybe will work. Yep. Yep. And knowing that in your, in your colleagues abilities for one, yeah. that was one right. of the previous conditions, yep. knowing their strengths and weaknesses, but really allowing that to happen yeah. uh, and not just be, you know, the kids in my room are my kids. Right. It's not about that. It's about the, they're all of our kids Yeah. and having that, not just that that culture, but but that full belief that, you know, just because I can't do something and I can't reach these kids for whatever reason, I know where to send them to, so they can get that. So if I they go yeah. down the hall and they go to Courtney's room, then they'll be fine and yeah. be okay with that. Right. I I think that's a lot of it is being okay with it, yes. because sometimes it's, you know how you know people humans can be. It's like well I can't do something so. I'm going to like send my kids away that rely on me to do things, yeah. but I'm going to put them somewhere else that makes me look like an idiot. Right. But it right. really doesn't. No, no, it doesn't. It at doesn't all. at all. It doesn't at all. It, it provides faith in your colleagues uh, and knowing it. I think that teaches a lot of kids the, the right thing too, is that, you know, you need help in this world and it's okay to go somewhere else for help. Yeah, right. Like it makes me think of, you know, analogies we use a lot. And I know these analogies sometimes annoy educators. I don't understand why. So like one analogy that I've seen used and probably have used myself when it comes to the idea of like professional learning and growing your practice, right, is that um, doctors don't do the same things. They, they don't treat things the same way they treated them, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. You go to have surgery, you want the most up-to-date methods, right? Like no one's handing you a stick and saying, bite, this is how we used to deal with the pain 100 years ago. It's good then, do it now. Like, <laughs> like we're going, uh, no, give me the, you know, the anesthesia. But it's the same with like, all right, so your primary care physician can't treat everything, right? It comes to a point, you go see your doctor, right? 
they're the first line of defense and they either go, yeah, I, I have the skills to deal with this. It's a common cold. I gotcha. Or sinus infection. I gotcha. Or they go, you know what? Um, you've had three sinus infections in a row. I don't know what to do. I'm sending you to the specialist. I'm hoping the book that you're reading about operative techniques and foot and ankle surgery, talk about leeches. <laughs> leeches yeah, to be a leeches. thing, right? It's like yeah. leeches on my feet and ankles. Yeah, that, that, yeah. I'm sure oh. that's where the book is. First edition, mm -hmm. not 25th edition. So maybe it is about leeches and, and sticks. But, but you know, so like the classroom teacher, like there's no way, there's no way one person can successfully intervene for all the students in their classroom. Agreed. If, if we believe that all kids need to be successful in our schools, then we need to know that all of our teachers also need to have those uh, skills and abilities in order to help those kids and knowing who those teachers are yeah. and all be in it together. Right. Uh, one of the things in the book, uh, Jenny says, in some schools that she visits, the staff not only shares a sense of collective responsibility, mm -hmm. they believe in their collective capability to ensure student success. Yeah. And I, I like that one also because it's not just, yeah, they're all our kids, right? but then hell yeah, we can do this. Yeah, and we're all going to do this. And I right. love this one that, that it ends on this one uh, because it really emphasizes to me what collective efficacy can be is that we're all in this together and we're going to get this job done to help these kids. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It's, it's great. All right. I think we're going to wrap it right there then with it's great. So, great. <laughs> so follow us on Twitter, of course, at PLearnMC on Facebook at PLearnMC, on Spotify, rate and review us. Basically, PLearnMC everywhere in the world. <laughs> uh, if, we, if you rate and review us, it helps us climb those charts and gets a little bit more noticed. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to end our series next week with a special surprise. Oh, it's so good. So be ready for that one. That'll be, that'll be excellent. Uh, yeah. We are going to be it in Palm Springs, California in about two weeks. Yeah. Week and a half, I guess now. Uh, we're going to be doing the yeah. Voices Hub there. And if you are going to Inacal or in California, or really if you're on the West Coast somewhere, just come down and visit. No excuse. It's not that far. <laughs> it's really not that far. If we can make it there from Maine, you can make it there from really wherever you are. Come and be on the pod. Share your story. Come to the Inacal Symposium. It is wonderful. It's a great time. Uh, we love those guys. And uh, we're going to have a great few days talking to all kinds of people uh, across the country and the world about personalized learning. Just like us. All right. Bye.